Predictions are dangerous. We absolutely need more inventory. The Fed doesn't actually have a lot of tools to regulate inflation. That cash has dried up. Wow, is my first thought, Bruce. If both parties don't win, it doesn't happen. The Real Look. Trending News. G'day. Today's Wednesday, September 27th. I'm Bruce Hardy. And I'm Chase Williams. And this is the news you need to know. Well, Chase, a strong jobs report on the heels of hawkish warnings from the Federal Reserve sent yields on 10-year Treasury notes soaring to a 15-year high on Thursday. And that's a path mortgage rates are likely to follow. In fact, Federal Reserve policymakers refrained from hiking rates on Wednesday after wrapping up their latest meeting, but signaled that they were likely to raise the short-term Fed fund rate at least once more this year and will hold rates higher for longer. Now, while Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell provided his usual assurances that future decisions would be data-dependent, a surprising unemployment claims report convinced bond market investors that the Fed will be forced to take an aggressive approach. What do you think? Well, Bruce, I think that the economy in certain ways, one of them being the jobs report, is still humming along pretty well, despite the efforts of the Fed, right? So the data-driven approach that he talks about, right, Jerome Powell talks about, one of the points, key points of data is unemployment. Even though they didn't raise rates this time around, and they're going to continue to watch the data. Others are also watching the data. <laughs> and here comes the jobs report, and it's stronger than anticipated. Matter of fact, it was the lowest level of unemployment claims since January. Therefore, the rate of money and bonds just went up even without the Fed doing anything. Because again, they're watching some of the same data. And this is going to be a tricky one, Bruce. I mean, they mentioned that they may raise it again and are likely to keep it higher for a while. I don't think anyone knows exactly what they'll do. And yet the markets are going to respond to the same data regardless to some degree. Well, I think you're absolutely right, Chase. When you look at what the investors are doing, right, the people who go out and buy the treasury bonds, you know, they basically said no to the uh, 10-year treasury notes after they saw this tight labor market information and the rising wages, right? Because they're really the drivers of inflation. What it's doing is it's sending yields, which by the way, climbed as much as 14 basis points to a high of 4.49. And that's a level not seen since October of 2007, right? And of course, we know what happened in 2008. Yeah, we do. Yeah. So I think this is going to be interesting to see what ultimately comes of this, because, you know, as we've said numerous times on this podcast, it's not the federal funds rate, which actually drives mortgage rates, right? It's the 10-year treasury yield, which drives that. And of course, the investors are reacting to those increased rates. We're not out of this cycle, not anytime soon. No, we're not. And actually, the fixed rate mortgages also jumped by 14 basis points when that happened to 7.47%. Those are 30-year fixed rate mortgages. And, you know, those, again, are not historically high mortgage rates by any stretch, depending on how far you look back, but they're quite high considering the era that we just came out of, right? And so they're certainly affecting home buyers. It's interesting because part of the story is also talking about the expectation that at some point next year, the Federal Reserve will begin to ease some of the cost of money. And again, depending on these jobless numbers, depending on GDP, depending on inflation, that may or may not happen. And as you've mentioned on this podcast, it's also an election year. 
which kind of throws all the rules out for 12 or so months. We'll see how that actually impacts what they decide to do going forward. Well, I think what's really interesting, right, what's happened to the spread between the 10-year Treasury yields and rates on 30-year fixed rates, it has widened from 2% before the pandemic to an average of 2.88% this year. Now, that's in part because investors who fund most mortgage loans fear that loans taken out today are likely to be refinanced at lower rates when interest rates come down. As that prepayment risk that's why they want that yield spread, right? They want that spread there so that they can offset that risk that these loans are going to be prepaid earlier. A lot of things are being impacted by this. Well, Chase, existing home sales fell 0.7% in August, and that's a 15.3% drop compared to a year ago. The housing market continues to cool amid high mortgage rates, affordability challenges, and still low inventory. In fact, in August, existing home sales fell to a seasonally adjusted annual rate of 4.04 million homes. And that's according to a new report from NAR. Now, Chase, we've been talking about this all year, right? Watching these annualized numbers coming down. In fact, in July, it was 4.07 million was the annualized number. So we're seeing these home sales slow down. What's going through your mind? Well, a couple of things, Bruce. I mean, ultimately, we're up against some pretty challenging months from last year when everything really started to slow down around June-ish, right? Depending on where you were. But anyways, it slowed down pretty quickly. And yet we're even farther down this year than we were against some of those months last year. The other thing that's really interesting, Bruce, is in the real estate industry, we typically see seasonality through these summer months tend to be some of the highest unit sales that's considered the selling season, and yet we've not seen that this year. As a matter of fact, it continues to go down seasonally adjusted during a season when typically it's up. And that's a big deal. I think the other interesting piece is even though home sales continue to drop in terms of number of units, the median existing home price is going up. And it actually rose in August 3.9% compared to August of last year to 407 $1,100 over the same time period. So we've got this, I don't want to call it a perfect storm, but it's like, you know, inventory is super low still, units are dropping, and yet prices are either holding or going up. And that's creating a real challenge for the real estate professional and for some of the buyers and sellers that are dealing with typical market. In other words, the market is not behaving as it typically would with the low level of inventory that we have right now, right? Oh, absolutely. In fact, inventory at the end of August was 1.1 million units, and that was down 0.9% from July and down 14.1% from a year ago. There are 180,000 fewer homes for sale compared to a year earlier. Sort of a dichotomy of the tale of two markets, right? Normally, supply and demand, right, will drive prices. And what we're seeing is we're seeing both supply and demand is dropping and yet prices are rising. That's a good thing for homeowners, right? They've got continued equity, but boy, it makes it difficult for those first-time homebuyers to get into this market. It can, and that continues to have an impact on overall affordability. One of the things that we watch pretty closely, right, Bruce, is the percentage of income that's required for housing costs. And that is slightly above the long-term average of 27%. That's what we've seen it over the course of many, many years. That's the average, right? So it's been higher, it's been lower. Right now, it's about 29%. So it's it's slightly above that. 
And if prices continue to go up and rates continue to go up, <laughs> unless income goes up at the same pace, that number can continue to be affected. And we have a situation here from the affordability standpoint, Bruce, that is a little like what we're experiencing with the consumer and interest rates. In other words, affordability is not that out of whack, but when you compare it to what the affordability was just two short years ago, 17 and 18% of total income required for housing costs, now 29, even though it's only 2% above kind of the long-term average, it feels like a lot more, right? It feels like a true burden in terms of the cost of homeownership. And that's a challenge. And it does depend on the market you're in too, Chase, because I, I was having actually a conversation earlier today with one of my agents in my Bend office where, you know, the average sales price down here is 820000 First time home buyer looking to get in the market, they've got the 20% down. They're going to be looking at about a $4,000 a month payment versus renting a property for $2,500 a month. So you get that spread between where the rental rates are versus where the mortgage rates are and is that affordable or do I think I should wait and stay in a rental longer before I move into a purchased home? I know how much you love predictions, Chase, but this week, Fannie Mae's chief economist, Doug Duncan, in an interview with Housing Wire, is predicting that we're going to see economic growth slow and the central bank won't cut rates until the end of Q2 of 2024. In fact, he said, we've always been in the camp that we believe Fed Chair Jerome Powell when he says higher for longer. There's that term again, right? Rates higher for longer. So what were your thoughts about this prediction? Well, I mean, Doug's certainly well-versed in the goings-on of what's happening in the economy and certainly how it impacts real estate. Predictions are predictions, Bruce, right? They're based on guesses, frankly. And although they may be educated guesses, and I believe they are here, that doesn't mean that they're going to be true necessarily. And yet you can see that whether the timing is exact or not, we're getting more and more of these predictions that this is going to be like this for a while. Rates are not just going to come screaming down anytime in the very near future. Even Doug is predicting they don't start cutting any rates until the end of Q2. And again, it's an election year. Wouldn't doubt if they tried to, wouldn't doubt if they do nothing. And it'll depend on what happens with the economy. It's been persistently roaring. We've already passed a lot of projections that it was going to slow down. And in certain ways, it just hasn't. So those have been faults all the way along. And who knows how much longer it'll do that. I do think, Bruce, though, that the measures that the government is going through and the cost of money and rising rates will have an impact over time. It's just not as accurate and as quickly as anyone would like. And so it still is a really big question mark of when the net effect that they're hoping for, a slowdown in the economy, starts to really take hold. I agree with you. What I think is really interesting right now is, you know, you and I have talked and we believe that we will see a recession somewhere down the road here as the market corrects. But quite frankly, the mortgage industry is in recession. I would argue yeah. that the real estate industry is in recession right now. I mean, we're down 30% in units, right? We talked about the fact that this year, our annualized number is 4.04 million, mm -hmm. right? And then by the way, the forecast at the beginning of the year that we might have an annualized rate of about 4.3, 4.5 million, it looks like it's going to be less than that. So there's no doubt that this sustained market is going to be causing a lot of 
businesses, a lot of companies inside of the mortgage and the real estate sector to bleed red ink as we go forward. So it won't surprise me if we see consolidation and we see some of these players actually get out of the business. Without a doubt. And even Doug in the interview talks about predicting kind of a mild recession that starts in Q2 of next year. The challenge for mortgage companies and the real estate industry is kind of like you said, Bruce, like if we're already in a recession for our industry, right? Much fewer units, much fewer mortgages. And then the whole economy goes into a recession for however long that might last. Again, you've demonstrated and, and illustrated here that even the longest recession, you know, since the Great Depression in 2008 only lasted 18 months. But you kind of have this triple whammy. You've got like units slowing down in real estate and potentially then an overall economic recession and then potentially the further decline of the stock market even beyond that. These things take quite some time to really play out. And regarding the red ink, the longer it goes, the harder it is for some of those companies that are barely getting by to make it, right? They're spending their reserves, they're borrowing if they can, they're writing checks and bleeding red ink. Well, you can only bleed so long before you're just dead. Absolutely. Well, and and you know, we try to be upbeat and positive on this podcast. And again, I still think there's time for our listeners to actually put hay in the barn before we really feel the brunt of this. And again, we've talked about this, Chase. We could have one of the lowest years in units going all the way back to 72. However, this still will be likely the fifth best year for closed volume. So that's the opportunity. So go out and make hay now. And then, as I said, put it in the barn, keep it dry, and then you get to go take market share when the market does ultimately shift. You do, Bruce. And using the analogy, right, like smart farmers know that when it's not hay season, then maybe they can get paid plowing snow. (laughs) There's always a way to make money. And there's always opportunity because when there's companies out there hurting, then there'll be somebody who's going to take advantage of that and not take advantage of the company, but take advantage of the situation. And that's always the case, right? You make hay while the sun shines and you do something else when it ain't shining. And that requires a way of thinking, but also a level of effort in a tough market, Bruce. And anybody listening to this podcast can have all that they want and then some if they're willing to go out there and get it, regardless of what's happening from a seasonal perspective. Well, that's the news you need to know. Don't miss this Friday's Northern Lights episode where we'll interview Chase Delpadeng with Keller Williams, Southern Arizona in Tucson, Arizona. Thanks again for tuning in with us on The Real Look. This podcast is produced by Marissa Frost. Visit kwnwr.com to access the show notes from today's episode. Head over to Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcast to subscribe to The Real Look. And don't forget to leave us a review. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back next week with a breakdown of all things real estate.